You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Take your seats, and while you're doing that, get your Bibles out and open them up to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to finish up our series, um, Grounded, and tonight we're going to talk about in duty, in duty. Uh, That word duty means a moral or legal obligation or a responsibility. It speaks of a task or an action that someone is required to perform. Um, A duty is an interesting word because it creates all kinds of responses, but we find ourselves with duties in all kinds of uh, different areas as well. Uh, Lewis, I'm hearing a little bit of feedback behind me here. Can you just... I'll yell if I need to, but thank you. Um, when we think about duty, people think about I have a duty to God. We're going to learn about that and what does that look like in our duty. We have a, uh, people talk about a duty to country and, and men and women stand up for their nation. They have a, this sense of duty, this sense of obligation, this sense of responsibility. Um, uh, people feel like they have this duty to their home and making sure that they take care of it. Uh, men, you have a duty in your marriage and so do you as wives. We have a duty to each other in our marriage. We have duty to our children. We have a duty in our work. And so this is a word that's common for us, but it conjures up all kinds of different responses for people. And if you're old like me, you kind of like the word. Um, You embrace it. It speaks kind of like it's a badge of honor. It's our duty. And that's why we do things. Uh, But the younger generations don't look at duty the same way. And uh, there's a struggle with even the idea of what do you mean? Because uh, for them, this uh, sense of duty is some kind of a blind allegiance. And I I just have to do it because the man says to do it. And so just even talking about duty, for some in the room, it's like, yes, I love that. Preach it. Let those punks know what we think about that, Pastor. And on the other side, there's a younger generation that's like, duty, are you kidding me? I'm just not doing whatever somebody tells me to do just because they tell me to do it. And it's a tension for sure. I'm not about blind duty. I'm not about blind obligation. I'm about doing the right things for the right reasons. And uh, God calls us to duty. And today we want to see some of what that is. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to read the uh, last verses starting at verse 12. We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 
Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing crescendo to the end of this book. It seems like Paul had so much more to say and must have only had an inch and a half left on the, the paper to write it all down because it just flows out so fast and so strong. And, but Lord, it's the way you wanted it to be. And so it's your word and we hold it in our hands. And as we look at this passage tonight, God, I pray that you'd give us a receptivity to what your word is saying. Uh, putting aside our own bias, putting aside our own agendas, putting aside maybe what we want and looking to Jesus Christ. Asking, God, that your spirit would work in this place, in our hearts, in my life, God, that we would listen to what you're saying to us. We would hear it carefully, Lord. You'd give us ears for that, minds to comprehend something tonight to change, to bring you honor and glory. And then lives, God, to live out for your glory. Do this work for your fame, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, as we said, we're finishing up our series, Grounded. And we've been in it for a number of weeks and in and out of it. But we talked about grounded in an observable walk, uh, grounded in a godly example. We talked about grounded when we are afflicted. We talked about grounded in concern for others that lead us to pray. We talked about grounded and walking in holiness as a, a result of what we've learned. We've talked about a grounded that we're loving and living out for the glory of God. Last week, we talked about grounded in hope as we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. And then Paul finishes up this section with what I've called grounded in duty. There's uh, three areas we want to see uh, primarily uh, tonight. And uh, here's the first one, uh, grounded in duty. To those who serve by leading, grounded in our duty as the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, to those who serve by leading. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. First thing I want us to see is he tells them to recognize those who serve by leading. You need to recognize, as he's writing to the Thessalonians, you need to understand the people who serve you, the people who lead you. And uh, you need to recognize them. It says, uh, respect those who labor among you. Uh, specifically, Paul would be talking about the elders or the pastors or bishops. Those are words that are pretty much interchangeable. Um, for those who serve in the church in uh, leadership roles, we, we need to respect those who labor among you, uh, those who provide instruction. In every congregation, there's much labor going on. But do we recognize those who labor over you? Now, this can sound a little self-serving. Like, this is a great time for me to beat up the church, so they're just going to love me more, okay? It's not about me, right? It's not about me. Paul didn't even know who I was going to be when he wrote this to this church. He was talking about the body of Christ, though, and how they need to see those that God has put in roles of leadership. We're going to talk about it. It's not blind following, but he says to them, he says to them, respect those who labor among you. I believe that the application of this passage goes beyond uh, just the elders in our church. I think it applies to those who are teachers and those who are directors of ministry and those who direct small groups. And the principle is broad, uh, but he's calling to them to bring respect, to bring respect, respect those who labor among you. Those who are over you, it says. 
Those who are over you. First of all, it says, in the Lord. In the Lord. Um, particularly, I believe he's speaking about elders and the specific leadership. But... Um, because they're the only ones that Scripture really gives authority over. Um, that, that's, in Scripture, that's where you see it. It's, it's to the elders. Uh, here's a few verses to think about. Uh, Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's speaking to the leaders. To care for the church and, and which he obtained with his own blood. In 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and witnesses of the suffering of Christ, as well as partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And Hebrews 13, 7 and 17, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders, verse 17 says, and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Respect those who labor among you, those who are over you. If you think that being an elder at Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region, is just the sweetest job in the world, you just need to look around and see the people in the room that we have to deal with all of the time. <laughs> Pretty messed up group. And we love you. We care for you. And we want God's glory in your life. And here it is. And we're going to give an account for what we do. We're going to give an account for what we do. See, there's a heaviness that comes in the calling of God to be a leader in the church. Because why? Because you're going to give an account for what you do. And so Paul tells the church, he says, these people who are over you, make sure you take care of them. Make sure that you love them and make sure you... He says, um, those are over you in the Lord. And then he says this, he says, and they admonish you. The people who have to bring the truth to you. When things aren't going well and somebody has to sit you down and go, don't you understand how ridiculous what you're doing is? Here's what God's word says and you're ignoring it and you're going off in your own way and love them. Care for them in the Lord. They have a responsibility to admonish, which really means to warn, to uh, give out, to sound out a warning. Um, Titus 1.9 says, he must hold firm to the trust." Trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. They have to be qualified to teach. And so uh, Paul starts out with the church in the duty of the followers of Christ. And he starts out by saying, you have a duty to those who serve by leading, uh, to respect them, to care for them, to love them. He goes on, he says, to esteem them. To esteem them. So do we expect people to bow down to us or kiss a ring? Or No, that's not what we're talking about. Are, are we asking for um, um, a blind loyalty? Never. Um, we're not looking for people to worship the leaders of the church. We worship Christ, the head of the church. But he says to esteem them. 
Consider the seriousness of their calling. Consider the load that they're called to carry. It says to esteem them very highly, it says, in love. Because they're going to give an account. Because they're going to give an account. And it's the duty of every follower of Jesus Christ, according to what Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, uh, for your leaders, you have a duty to those who serve by, by leading. Esteem them very highly in love, it says. Why? Because of their work. Because of their work. You know, at the elders' table, we really kind of break down what we do into kind of three things. There are D's, and uh, the elders are responsible for the oversight in the church and the caring of the church, uh, for the doctrine of the church, uh, for the direction of the church, and then for the discipline or discipleship of the church. That's what elders do. That's their primary function. And when they're doing that and doing that well, they should be esteemed and they should be thanked and they should be respected because of the calling God has placed on their lives. 1 Peter 5.3 says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example of the flock because of this weight of giving an account for the souls of the people. Now, let me quickly go on to say, there's not a day that I think we're perfect at this. There's not a day that the elders of this church think we've got it all figured out and if the people would just get behind us, we would. we're sinners who are saved by grace, doing the best we can, seeking the Lord in what we do to lead this church in a way that brings glory to God. I love the fact that we say around here lots of times, no enduring relationships without forgiveness. No enduring relationships without forgiveness because that's necessary for the leaders as well as the other people who are in the church. But when elders are humble enough to admit when they make a mistake or, or they, the, the, the willingness to go back and fix the decision because the decision, the courage of the second decision, uh, when they're willing to do that and make things right and move forward, that's the sign of godly leadership. And I trust that we model that as a church and that the church sees the elders that we have and you love them and you care for them and... Um, but we're not going to do it perfectly. So many times our theme verse is the one in Chronicles. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God helping us for his glory. And not just the elders, but the directors and the small group leaders and the flock leaders and those who are serving, those who are pouring it out for you. Love on them and care for them. And he goes on at the end of that verse and he says, be at peace be at peace among yourselves. It's kind of a funny statement where it lands in the text, but I think it's talking about that because that's a great way that you can esteem the elders and you can allow them to lead. And it's like, be at peace. Always be going for peace. Not peace at any price, but be at peace. Um, it's where joy comes. It makes it joyful to serve creates an atmosphere where righteousness can flourish. It's uh, something that we're told to pursue. It, it lightens the load. And so be at peace. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all, Romans 12 says. I was challenged with that with something in my own life this week, and I'm working that through. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all. 
So he cries out to these people as he's coming to the end of this, and there's it's like a fire hose of stuff he's pouring out. And the first thing he talks about is the church's duty to those who serve by leading. Here's the here's second thing he talks about, a duty to the body of Christ that we serve. Not only do we have a, du- a duty to those who serve by leading, but we have a duty to the body of Christ that we serve. Look at uh, verses 14 and uh, verse 15. It says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone for evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. In our duty to serve the the body of Christ, he says, admonish the idle. Admonish the idle. Well, who are these people? Um, The word idle means disorderly or out of rank. It's a picture of a soldier who's fallen out of line. He's not in step with where he should be. And and so he says, admonish them. You need to warn them. Uh, a crucial component of the preaching of Christ was, was warning. And, and, and we are called as the body of Christ to be doing that with the body of Christ. It's not just the responsibility of the leaders to do it. It's, it's for all of us to do as we consider our calling and what God's called us to. Uh, he comes back to this in his second letter to this church in 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 to 15. He says, For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, uh, not busy at work, but busy bodies. There's a play on words for you. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a a brother. And so this admonishing of the idol has this desire, this effort to restore you. You warn him as a brother. Why? Because you want the relationship restored. You don't want to see that person going sideways. You don't want to see them in a bad place. You don't want to see the discipline of God have to come on to them because of their disobedience and not caring and being out of step. The goal is to, uh, to restore them, but it's, it's also the goal is to keep the church pure. And so with others, we need to, with the word of God, speak the truth to one another, especially those who are out of step. Then he goes on to another picture. He says, encourage the, the faint-hearted. Well, who are the faint-hearted? The Greek word literally means small-souled or little-souled. It's translated in the King James, feeble-minded. In the NIV, it's, it's translated timid. Now, those who are faint-hearted. It describes those who lose heart easily or who are prone to dropping out or who are just easily they can quit. But they are people who are faint-hearted. Well, why? Well, maybe it's because of persecution or tribulation or trial or, or maybe it's because they've been serving and they haven't seen the results and they're, they're ready to give up and they're just like, oh, oh. And he says, he says encourage those people. Encourage them. So who are they? Well, that's who they are. But then he says to comfort them. Comfort them. So he starts out, but he talks about by the unruly people, you admonish them. They need a strong word from the Lord. They need correction from the Lord. And, and maybe that's what you need to hear tonight. You're, you're here tonight and you're like, I'm not, I'm not going to esteem the elders. I'm not going to esteem them. And, and there's an admonishment for you. 
But then there are others who are in the room who are faint-hearted and you're tired and you want to quit and, and you're carrying a load and it's becoming too much for you. And hey, our job is, all of us, our job is to lift you up and encourage you and love on you and care for you. And our duty to the body of Christ that we serve is to admonish the idle and to comfort the faint-hearted. And then he goes on, he says, and help the weak, help the weak, those who are weak, um, those who are in need, maybe those whose faith is weak. Maybe there's the physical need and they're weak. Uh, maybe their faith is weak. Um, a brand new Christian's faith is not mature, but we treat them the same. They just don't know and they need this help. And there are other people who've gone through so much and something devastating has happened for them and they're struggling in their faith. And he says, so we need to help those who are or weak, whether it's physical if necessary, but spiritually always, he says, help those who are weak. And then he comes to this, he says, um, be patient with them all. Now I gotta tell you, as soon as I read that in my study, I wrote, really, Lord? Really, Lord? Because if we're honest, let's, let's have a little honesty here. Don't leave me alone in this. Really, when you're trying to help somebody and they don't get it, you admonish somebody and they're just being a butthead and they're just not going where they need to go. And, and then he comes and he says to you, be patient with them all. And sometimes our attitude can be, really, Lord? Really? You obviously don't know some of the people who come to our church. Do we have to keep being patient with them? Yeah, you do. Be patient. Don't grow weary in doing good. Be patient. Does that mean we never come to a place of saying, if, if you can't get this figured out, if you can't move forward, we're going to have to move on to somebody else? It doesn't mean that at all. But it needs to be done in love, and it needs to be done in caring. It needs to be always ready to come back and step back into this. And, and so for this responsibility to carry for the faint-hearted and, and for the weak and for the idle, there's this sense of be patient with them. Um, we're to be patient with those who teach. We're to be patient when the rebuke is necessary in our own lives. And we are to be patient with those who we have to deal with, realizing that probably somewhere in your life, somebody had to deal with you about something and you didn't get it the first time and they came back and they didn't give up on you and they didn't give up on you and they didn't give up on you and you look back at it now and you're thankful for their faithfulness and their uh, commitment to you. And he's just saying, just do that for other people. Just do that for other people. It says, see that no one repays evil for evil. Jesus was all about that. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute, Matthew chapter 5. Paul taught it in the epistle to the Romans. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And then Paul here says, don't repay evil for evil. And even when it's difficult, be patient with them all. And then he finishes this section up by saying, always seek to good, do good to one another and to all. Uh, to one another speaks of doing good to those who are in the body of Christ, uh, those who are in the church. You make sure you do good to those. Take, we take care of each other. We care for each other. We love each other. We don't give up on each other. We're patient with each other. But then he goes, and to all, to all, it, it needs to be a quality of our church. This needs to be what people look at us and the kinds of things that they see in us that we seek to do good to each other. 
So he starts out with this idea of the duty we have to serve um, those who are leading, or, or a duty to those who serve by leading. And then he comes with a sense of a duty to the body of Christ that we serve. And then thirdly, in 16 to 22, he talks about the duty that we have to ourselves as the servants. He lays out some things that we need to be looking at in ourselves. Here's some things that you need to take on for you, he says in uh, verse 16, starting there, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. By testing everything, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And, and I, I don't know why when Paul wrote this, he just does a rapid fire, boom, 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 boom. Maybe because it's like Captain Obvious, it's there. It's not really that deep. You should be able to get this. These are some things, but you need to be looking at them in your own life and then asking myself, here's the checklist. How am I doing with this checklist that's set out before me? Rejoice always. Always? Always? If the report I got last Friday from my cardiologist wasn't a good report and my heart function and the damaged part was 43% before and it was still 43%, would I be saying, rejoice in the Lord always? I got to tell you, it would be a lot more difficult. It would be a lot more difficult. Let's just all be honest about that. We need to choose to rejoice in the Lord always. It's a decision that you make. It's a priority you make. Believe me, it's a lot easier to rejoice in the Lord always when the difficult thing comes, when you've been doing it, when things are going great, when it becomes the pattern of your life. It's just what you go to. And so he says to them, take care of yourself. And one way to do that is rejoice, Lord, rejoice always. Rejoice in your salvation in the mercy and grace and forgiveness that you have. Re rejoice in your own salvation and then rejoice in the salvation of someone else, maybe that you've had the opportunity to build in their life and you've been sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and, and they come to know Christ. Rejoice in your own salvation and rejoice in the salvation of others. When you hear a salvation story about what God has done, does that bring you great joy in your life? Rejoice in the Lord in your salvation. Rejoice in the Lord in your sanctification and God's keeping us and care for us. I, I think sometimes we think that sanctification is our job. And different than justification, which is an act that God does, sanctification is a team effort. And the Lord is working in us and we are being sanctified and we are seeking to be obedient and do the things that God calls us to do. But we should be rejoicing in where we are and what God is doing, how he is leading, not only as he saved us, but he's keeping us for something greater. Rejoice in the fellowship that you have. Fellowship with other believers should cause you to rejoice. And that fellowship might be a day when they come and they have to tell you a hard thing and you should be thankful that somebody loves God enough and loves you enough to come to you. You should rejoice in that. But then there's the other side of that when things are great and we're fellowshipping together and praising the Lord and worshiping together and rejoice in the Lord always. And then look forward to glory. We saw that last week and the return of Jesus Christ. We should be rejoice always goes on he says pray without ceasing pray without ceasing 
In prayer, we find mercy and grace to help us in time of need. So pray without ceasing. In prayer, we find forgiveness of sins as we confess them. And so pray without ceasing. In prayer, we find the peace of God to help us in anxious times. So pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Do you have a set time for prayer? You should have a set time for prayer. But don't be limited to a set time for prayer. When you're driving your car, when you're walking in the way, whatever you're doing, find, find yourself before the Lord. I've talked about you folks about when I come in here on Tuesdays and I walk around this room and I either walk around the room listening uh, to the word of God or I walk around the room thinking about who's sitting where and how can I be praying for them? Why well, just walk around the room and do nothing? Pray without ceasing. When you're driving around and you see a church on the corner and you, and you know that church, that, I know that church isn't preaching the word of God. Would you pray for them? Just condone it. I mean, condemn it. Just be, but be praying for them. And you go by another church. We're not the only church that preaches the word, by the way. I hope you know that in our town. There are lots of good churches that preach the word of God. And when you go by one, pray for them. Pray for their pastor. Pray for their church. Pray for unity. Pray for, pray for blessing in that place. When you come here and you come into the parking lot, pray for us. When you're getting ready for bed and you're thinking about your family, pray for them. When you're going to work, do you pray for your coworkers and pray without ceasing? Pray without ceasing. Have a set time. Have a system. Have a prayer system of how you pray and how you know who to pray for and all the have a system, but don't be stuck to a system. Uh, allow God to reveal things to you and have times when it's not just about the system. Pray when you want to and pray when you don't want to. Pray without ceasing. I give thanks for everything. I give thanks for everything. Well, does that mean all things are good and I want to be thankful for them? No, but there's something to be thankful for in everything. In all kinds of circumstances, be thankful. Colossians 2.7 says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. Having an attitude of gratitude is a choice. I choose to be thankful. In everything, give thanks. Choose it when things are great, but be disciplined to choose it when things are hard. Pray without ceasing. So we're also to be thankful without ceasing. Why? Because this is God's will for you. We talked about God's will before and we tend to think about God's will as what school should I go to and all those kind of things. I'm like, here it is right here. Here it is right here. You want to know what God's will is? Here's some things you don't have to worry about. You don't have to pray about. Is this God's will for me? Is it, is it God's will that I would do these things? It's God's will that you would do these things. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then Paul goes on in kind of rapid fire of four more keys for us uh, to consider. Four more keys starting at verse 19. It's a bit of a warning for us. It's something for us to feel the weight of. And um, he says this, do not, do not quench the Spirit. Wow. Do not quench the Spirit. And what does that word mean? It means put out. Do not put out the Spirit. By refusing to heed what the Spirit of God is telling you to do, uh, by sin, by disobedience, by refusal to obey, 
Um, by cutting off the revelation of God's truth that's intended for you, you're reading it and you're hearing it and you're saying, I'm not doing that. You may not use those words, but your actions display, I'm not doing that. And you put out the Spirit of God working in your life. It's not, it's not a light word he uses. The way he says this is, this is a duty thing. Do not put out the Spirit. So church, how are you putting out the Spirit? How are you disobeying what God's calling you to do? How are you refusing to be obedient to something God has laid on your heart? And he doesn't even expand on it. He says, just don't do that. Don't do it. Obey what God's word says to do and do it. Don't refuse to heed what the spirit of God is telling you to do. Don't continue to live in that sin. You're putting out the spirit's work. Don't be disobedient when God lays it out for you. Don't quench the spirit. And then he says, uh, do not despise prophecies. The idea here is of belittling or mocking um, what was being said and what you've been taught. See, if you're in a bad place, you can go out of this message and it can be wah, 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 wah about what the pastor just said. Now, what was my illustration about something? I don't even really care. But just make sure that you're not quenching the spirit in the way you respond to what God's word is saying. This idea of the prophecies is this is the truth that's being told to you. Be very careful when you become dismissive of God's word. Be very careful when it's like, well, I'm just not going to do it. I don't care what they say. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. He says this, um, hold fast to what is good. Hold fast, excuse me, I got ahead of myself. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Test everything. Okay, well, wait a minute, Pastor Paul. You told me not to quench the spirit. Now you're telling me I'm supposed to test everything. Of course, testing everything is not quenching the spirit because it's to find what God's word has and what God's word wants, but just don't blindly accept it. I've, I've said in this church many times, don't walk out of here and do something just because the guy who's standing here with the Bible in his hand told you to do it. Look to God's word. What does God's word say? Test it, test it. Test it and make sure it's true. And if you were in a church before you came here that wasn't preaching the word of God, you came to the place where you tested it and you go, I can't stay here any longer. And if our church ever goes like that, get out of here. Test, test, and test, and then obey. Test, test everything. Hold fast to what is good. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. In examining all these things by the truth today, so that we can make good decisions and we can walk forward comfortable in God's word, knowing this is what God would have for us. Hold fast to what is good, he says. Hold fast in our attitudes, in what we think. Hold fast in our actions, in what we do. And then he kind of wraps it all up in verse 22 and he says, abstain from every form of evil. I don't have to teach you that evil exists. It exists. We see it in our world. We see it all over the place. And he says, abstain from all 
forms of evil. Those who do evil hate the truth. Those who constantly live in evil, they hate the truth. We see it in the world all the time. And we have to be careful in our own lives when we get caught up in things that are sinful and evil because it speaks to how we feel about the truth. Now, you have to understand how the word study in this, when he says that word, abstain. Abstain. Well, I looked it up. It means don't do it. That's what it means. That's what it means. It's not deep. It's clear. It's not divisive. Don't do it. Things that are evil, don't do it. Things that are causing you to take your eyes off the Lord, don't do it. Things that are causing you to sin, don't do it. Abstain from those things. Stay away from those things. Move away from those things. That's what he's saying to them as he's trying to help them and how they care for themselves and their duty to themselves, he finishes this up and he says, my little children, my little children, abstain from evil. Don't get caught up in it. Get your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. And then he continues this fire hose with this last little section of final exhortations and commendations to them. And... um, He starts out with a closing prayer in verses 23 and 24. Um, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The God of peace himself. Now, may the God of peace himself, the, the source that we have the hope that we have, the God of peace himself, he cares about you, Thessalonian church. He cares about you, Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. He cares about you, individual in this room. He cares about you, Pastor Paul, the God of peace. The God of peace himself. He's the one who we lean on. He's the one we trust. He is the one where our hope is. The God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Comes back to that whole I just said a few minutes ago. It's in the working of God in our sanctification and our cooperation in that, that we become sanctified, we become holy, we honor the Lord, we're set apart for him to use. The God of peace himself is the one who's on our side. We're not in this alone. The God of peace himself sanctify you. Says your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. There's lots of discussion in scripture about how many parts man has, and there's all kinds of different words about it. I believe in this text, it's really just talking about really the everybody's alive, but then there's this part of us with the spirit of God in us, and then you got your body. When 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 you die, you you're absent with the body and present with the Lord. Um, but he says, um, your whole your whole everything, all all of you, your whole being. Be kept blameless. Be kept blameless. Um, you know, at the end of all this, he, um, he says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You're not in this alone. This calling in your life, this ending to the book, the crescendo that it comes to, God himself, the God of peace, He who calls you is faithful. It's a promise. You're not on your own. And then he lays out 
a few more quick things as he's running out of paper, I guess. I don't know. But he says, a reminder to pray. Pray for us, he says. Paul requests that they pray. Pray for him. Um, I love that he did that in the journey that he was on. You know, I, I, it's Christians. I see it all the time. And I know my own bent towards this. And God has helped me through the things I've gone through to just you know, open it up and put that out there for the church to see so they can be praying for you. Sometimes, like, we're kind of crazy about this. We don't want anybody to know what we're going through. We don't really want anybody to be praying for us. And so instead of having hundreds of people pray for us, we don't have anybody praying for us. I love that he says, I just, brother, pray for us. Um, he's in Corinth writing this. He's going to spend a lot of the rest of his life in prison. He's going to go through beatings. He's going to go through a whole lot of things. And he's saying, yeah, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. Hey, when you're going through the dark time, you need people praying for you. Stop leaning out and lean in and let people into it and let them pray with you. Um, we need that when we're sick. We need that when we're serving. We need that when we lack wisdom. We need that when we're in trial. We, we need that when we sin. Brothers, uh, pray for us. Because the prayer of a righteous man avails much. How much more the prayers of many righteous men? Brethren, pray for us. And then he says, love each other. Love each other. And then it gets a little dicey for us because he says, I greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. The first guy comes up here, lands one on my lips, I'm going to punch him right in the head, just so you know. So. <laughs> in Romans 16, 16, he says, um, holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 16, 20, he says, holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, holy kiss. And uh, so what does that mean? Because we say we believe God's word. So what are we going to do? Well, first of all, just let's get us understand this. It's men on men, women on women. That was the picture of what's going on here. So think, I'm going to get to kiss every woman in the room before I get out of here tonight, guys. No, it's not a way for guys to pick up girls at church. Okay? It's not what he's talking about. And it's not the kind of kiss that I gave my wife. I said to Sue this week, why don't I invite you up here and we'll demonstrate what it's not. <laughs> yeah, that died on the cutting room floor. You just need to know. Right? He's talking about the way we respond to each other. He's talking about the way we meet and greet each other. Uh, if you were in the, in the Far East or like in, in, um, in the Holy Land and in nations around there or even in Europe, you'd see a lot of this thing going, oh, that's the idea here. Only it's done with sincerity and it's done with caring and because it's demonstrating our love for each other. He's reminding them that they need to love each other. It's a mark of discipleship. This love that we have for each other displays our discipleship. This is the way people will know that we are disciples of Christ by the way we love each other. So how are we demonstrating that love for each other? Because people need to be able to see it. It's a sign of our conversion. In 1 John 3, 14, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. I, I love our church. I, every church, this is probably true. But in our church, when you look around this room and try and figure out why this group of people would ever be in the room together, there's only one reason, Jesus Christ. It's the only reason we would ever be in the room together. Our backgrounds, our histories, one reason, Jesus Christ. And so the way we love each other is a testimony to the world because it doesn't work like that in the world. And so he's telling them, it's a reminder to them to love. He's a reminder to pray, a reminder to love, a, a reminder to communicate. He puts a pretty strong statement in, in verse 27. He says, I put you under oath before the Lord. Well, there's a duty to have this letter read to all the brothers. Make sure everybody gets to hear this word. Hey, church, let's do our best to make sure everybody gets to hear this word. This word of Jesus Christ.
And then the last thing is a reminder of how this is all possible. Look at verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. See, that's why this is possible. This is only possible because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the grace that saved you. And if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, these things about duty don't get you to heaven. They have nothing to do with getting you to heaven. All that we do, we do as a follower of Jesus Christ out of what Christ has done for us and accomplished for us. Because of his grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that nobody can boast. But when you understand who Jesus is, when you've trusted Jesus Christ, now your passion is to fulfill that duty, do those things he's called you, but it all comes out of his grace. It all comes out of his grace. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, he's the reason we do what we do. We come to Easter, we see Christ on the cross. Why? Because of his love and his passion, his grace and his mercy. We see the resurrection of Christ finishing what he said we would do in heaven on our behalf right now, making intercession to God for us. Why? Because he loved us, because he cared for us, because of his grace. Now, love that he finishes with that line. And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, that grace is available to you. Stop trying to earn your way to goodness and better and all of those things and understand you can't reach, uh, reach up to the level that God has set for us of sinlessness and holiness. It's only possible because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, because of his grace. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Trust Christ tonight and be saved. And for us, there's the hope that we have because we know that. There's this saving grace and then there's this grace that keeps us every day so that we can be people fulfilling the duties that God's called us to. Duties to our leaders, duties to ourselves, duties to the church, God helping us. Well, so what? We're called to duty under God. As I said, to those who lead us, to others who are around us and duty to ourselves. Not because of anything that's in us or in them, but because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And so what will you do with your calling to be faithful to the Lord and your walk as a follower of Jesus Christ in duty to the king who sent his son to save you for the glory of Jesus Christ the Lord? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the challenge of it and the stirring of it in our hearts Give us ears to listen carefully to what your word has said and not to walk away easily from something you put on our heart tonight. But Lord, we have ears to hear, minds to understand, but then hearts that we would live out the thing that you've said and do it, Lord, for the fame of our Savior Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.